Good evening. Good evening. I'm Evan Smith. I'm the CEO and co-founder of the Texas Tribune. It is my great pleasure to welcome you to the 2016 Texas Tribune Festival. If you've been here before, welcome back. If you're here for the first time, welcome. We have a great program for you. Every year we tell you it's the best program. This year, we're actually telling you the truth. It is the best program. We have the most sessions. We have the most speakers. We have the most big names. We're in the most venues. And we are back again on this great campus of the University of Texas at Austin for the sixth straight year. The only thing that would make it better is if the football team were 3-0. and <laughs> But we'll take 2-1, and one, right? We'll take 2-1. and one. Um, In previous years, the president of the university has come out and said a few words. We're in his house after all. And so it is my great pleasure to introduce to you the president of the University of Texas at Austin to welcome you to this amazing weekend, Greg Fenvis. Please say hello. Thank you, Mr. President. Great, yes. Well, thank you, Evan, and congratulations to you and the Texas Tribune for hosting the sixth annual Texas Tribune Festival. We are very proud at UT Austin to help sponsor this festival and share our incredible and beautiful campus with more than 250 distinguished speakers and panelists. And I think we're going to have 4,000 participants uh, coming to the events tonight, tomorrow, and on Sunday. So welcome, everyone, to the University of Texas. Now, why is this important? Uh, this is the flagship university for the state of Texas. And what's going to take place over the next three days, debate, discussion, disagreement, agreement, is the kind of intellectual exchange that takes place every single day on the university campus, in our classrooms, in our seminars, in our libraries, and across the campus. We thrive as a state and we thrive as a nation when we challenge each other with new ideas, with different ideas, and we talk through them and we leave smarter, better informed than when we came. And that's what's going to happen this weekend at the Trib Fest. Now, I looked over the program for the Trib Fest. That is an impressive document that you have to lug around with you all day unless you use the app. Uh, I still have to have the document with me. But we've got speakers that are uh, public servants, policymakers, journalists, jurists, educators, medical professionals, businessmen, ministers, economists. It goes on and on and on. And as I was looking through the list, I said the only thing that's missing from the program is a rock star. <laughs> then I saw Phil Collins is going to be here talking about the Alamo. And we also use this as an opportunity for the 50,000 students at the University of Texas to come and learn from the panelists. Our faculty, many of them, are going to be engaged, and our staff who put on this, help put on this wonderful event, and lots and lots of alumni. How many Longhorns in the audience? There we go. Now, this is my opportunity for a commercial break. I urge you at noon, noon tomorrow, from noon to 2 o'clock on the main mall, we are going to be having UT Innovation Showcase. We're going to show you some of the things that our students and faculty are working on to solve the grand challenges in the world. And you'll see things like robotic exoskeletons. You may ask yourself, what is that? Go to the showcase tomorrow and find out. 
you'll see 3D virtual reality, which a lot of that was developed here in our laboratories and our computer labs, and now it's becoming a reality, not just for entertainment. By the way, I met the inventor of Pokemon Go when I was uh, in uh, San Francisco last week. He's a UT alum. That's the kind of world-changing students that we have. So this year's festival promises to be one of the most stimulating and thought-provoking conversations you will experience this year. We're so glad to have you on our campus to do this. I want to thank the distinguished speakers and the participants and the panelists, and thank you, the audience, for being here tonight and filling the house for our keynote speaker. Hook 'em horns. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. President, and to everybody on the University of Texas at Austin staff who made this possible. We really appreciate your hospitality. We're so happy to be back here. Uh, some quick bits of housekeeping before we bring out our opening night keynote conversation. Please join me in thanking the presenting sponsor of the 2016 Festival, Walmart, as well as our longtime production partner, our great friends at South by Southwest. Please give them a big hand. I want to thank any of you in the room who are members of the Tribune. You know we're a public media organization going on year seven. Your membership dollars make a huge difference in allowing us to do not just this event, but everything we do all across the year, news, data, and events. Over the course of this weekend, you're going to have an opportunity, if you're not a member, to become one. And if you do, we have an incentive. Anybody who becomes a member by midnight tonight, become a member, renews your membership, or chips in over and above your existing membership is uh, eligible to win two tickets to our dinner tomorrow night called Trib Feast at the Alumni Center with the Pulitzer Prize winning columnist of the New York Times, Maureen Dowd. Maureen Dowd and I will be in conversation about Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, and this election cycle. It'll be a great dinner, and if you become a member by midnight tonight or add to your membership, we're happy to enter you in a drawing to win those tickets. As well, if you become a member or add to your membership, over the course of the weekend, we'll enter you in a drawing to win two nights at El Cosmico out in Marfa and two nights at the Hotel St. Cecilia in Austin. So please think about becoming a member of the Texas Tribune, and we appreciate that very much. Let me acknowledge the other sponsors of this event. I need to do this like a drug commercial at the end. Read this quickly because there are so many, but these sponsors make it possible for us to put this event on. We do this at the beginning of the festival only. So let me quickly go through and thank our sponsors, AARP, the Annette Strauss Institute for Civic Life, the Association of Texas Professional Educators, AT&T, and the AT&T Executive Education and Conference Center, the Beer Alliance of Texas, Blue Cross, Blue Shield of Texas, the Boeing Company, Centerpoint Energy, Comcast, CPS Energy, Deloitte, Doctors Hospital at Renaissance, Educate Texas, Emerus, the supporting sponsor of tonight's opening keynote, ETS, ETS Highset, General Motors, Google, Greater Texas Water, Gulf States Toyota, the Gulf Coast Community Colleges Consortium, HEB, the Hatton Sumners Foundation, Hill and Knowlton Strategies, Houston First, Houston Tillotson University, IBC Bank, J.P. Morgan Chase, the LBJ School of Public Affairs, Legacy Community Health, Lockheed Martin, the Lumina Foundation, the Meadows Center for Water and the Environment, the Meadows Foundation, and the Meadows Mental Health Policy Institute for Texas, the Medill School of Journalism at Northwestern University, Go Cats. Messinahoff Winery and Resort, Methodist Healthcare Ministries, the Cynthia and George Mitchell Foundation, the Monument Group, National Instruments, NRG Energy, Encore, Pearson, Quest Diagnostics, Raise Your Hand Texas, Southwest Airlines, St. David's Foundation, St. David's Healthcare, Teladoc, the Texas A&M University System, the Texas Association of Realtors, Texas Central, Texas X's, Tex Protects, 
The Nature Conservancy, Toyota North America, Uber, United Healthcare, the University of Texas Press. <laughs> Up, Uber gets laughs, look at that. Upbring, <laughs> UT Southwestern Medical Center, Valero, the Walton Family Foundation, and We Work for Texas. Please give them all a hand. And then finally, our media partners, the Austin American Statesman, Culture Map, Houston Public Media, KLRU, KXAN, Marfa Public Radio, Texas Monthly, the Texas Standard, Univision 62, and the Washington Post. After our opening night session, we encourage you to join us on the South Mall, on the main mall under the UT Tower for our opening night party. I'm not gonna tell you what we're doing, but we have a little help to get you from here to there at the conclusion of our Keynote. If you're tweeting about this event, the hashtag is TTF. I'm at Evan A. Smith. He's at John Kasich. Please silence your phones and turn them off if you're not tweeting. <laughs> now, it's my pleasure to introduce the opening session of the 2016 Texas Tribune Festival. Every year on this opening night, we promise you someone at the center of the discussion about politics and policy in the state and around the nation and we do not disappoint. In 2013, at the height of the grassroots revolt against the establishment in both parties, our kickoff interview was with the still relatively new U.S. Senator from Texas, Ted Cruz, whose pitchfork and torch were raised high. You'll recall that the week before the festival, the government shut down, and so Senator Cruz was at the last minute unable to be here, and so he beamed himself in from the conference room of Senator Mike Lee's office. In 2014, just ahead of a round of elections that would install a bunch of familiar faces in top state offices, we selected an unfamiliar face with a familiar name and a bright future to be our opening night keynote. George P. Bush, son of Jeb exclamation point, <laughs> nephew of George W., grandson of George H.W., and soon to be our Texas Land Commissioner. In 2015, last year, following a legislative session in which the conservative view of the world prevailed at nearly every turn, we invited Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, the most conservative statewide elected official, and let's be honest, the most powerful statewide elected official, the driver of the conversation at the Capitol to be our opening night. As for 2016, well, 2016 is about 2016. The presidential race has consumed us for so long that we've very nearly forgotten there's anything else to talk about. It was inevitable that our opening night conversation would at least in part focus on the most important and the most compulsively, repulsively entertaining election of any of our lifetimes. It was less inevitable, but certainly our hope that our conversation would be more than a lengthy rant, that it would appeal as the saying goes to our better angels. So it was that we landed on the two-term governor of Ohio, one of the last GOP candidates for president left standing, the Honorable John Kasich. Governor Kasich is the Republican Party's road not taken. From the moment he entered the race last July 21st, his campaign was about big ideas, conservative principles, and the future of the country. He had the most experience in government, was the most knowledgeable candidate on matters related to budget and foreign affairs. And as a red chief executive in a blue state, fairly touted his post-partisan appeal. The country was his base. And he was civil. He never once strayed from his promise to remain on the high road, even as others went lower and lower. He was prepared to lose honorably and with dignity, rather than demean himself. 
and he did. Losing is something that Governor Kasich isn't used to. His political career began at age 26 when he successfully ran against an entrenched incumbent Democrat for an Ohio Senate seat. Four years later, he successfully ran for the U.S. House, again defeating a Democratic incumbent. He served nine terms representing the 12th Congressional District. All 18 years, he sat on the House Armed Services Committee and spent six years as chairman of the House Budget Committee. He chose not to run for re-election in 2000, instead briefly and forgettably running for president in a Republican field dominated by George W. Bush. And after leaving Congress, he signed on as a commentator and host on the Fox News Network. He also became the managing director of the Lehman Brothers office in Columbus, Ohio. He returned to politics in 2010 as the Republican nominee for governor, defeating incumbent Democrat Ted Strickland by fewer than 80,000 votes. He ran for re-election in 2014 and won by more than 900,000 votes. If you do the math, John Kasich has been in public life for nearly 40 years. But it was not until his campaign for president took off in late 2015 and early 2016 that he broke through to a whole other level of political celebrity. It will be interesting to see what the future holds. Regardless of the outcome this November, 2020 is just around the corner. A native of McKees Rocks, Pennsylvania, Governor Kasich is a graduate of The Ohio State University. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming the keynote opener of the 2016 Texas Tribune Festival, the Honorable John Kasich. Good to see you, sir. Thank you. How you doing? Good. Welcome. I thought this was, I thought I was coming to the Coachella Festival. I mean, I didn't Coachella, know Coachella, we, we do that if you want, that's I, great. That's uh, Governor, it's great to see you. Thank you. So I guess we know which of the two paths Ted Cruz took. <laughs> you have a point of view, uh, you have a point of view about the Cruz endorsement you want to offer us today? No, not you don't. really. Really? No, everybody's got to do their thing, you right. know, and so uh, I do mine, he does his, and that's kind of the end of it. So you don't want to comment on whether you think it was a good idea, bad idea, his decision, and that's it? Well, it's, it's for him to decide, right? Right. I mean, I'm not a commentator anymore. I was a commentator for a right. while, but now I'm not. But, I mean, I, I, what he does or what he doesn't do is of, you know, not something that, that really affects me. You, well, that's fine. You have been explicit about your point of view about your party's nominee. Could, could you articulate for us your perspective on, on him right now? You know, uh, Senator Cruz said today that one of the reasons that he was willing to endorse after famously declining to endorse at the convention is because he thought that Donald Trump had shown him something since the convention, that he had moved toward an agenda that he could be more comfortable with. Are you any more comfortable with Mr. Trump as the nominee than you were then? No. You're not? No. The, Look, I don't want to be, um, let, let, me, let me explain to you, uh, you see, some people can go into politics and they feel passionately about what they say. Some people go into politics and they say things and it's not that important to them. Yep. So I made a speech in New York called Two Paths. April of this past year. Right. And the speech was basically... How do, you, how do you want to go in America? Do you want to take people who are legitimately anxious about their jobs, about their wages, about their children's future, about their neighborhood, and do you want to say things that 
accentuate that unease or anger or frustration? Or do you want to work on the other side of the street where you basically say, I, I understand it. Yeah. I understand your problem. But look, if we work together, um, we'll be able to pull ourselves out of this. And that's kind of working on the other side of the street. Right. So that's where I continue to be. And I don't believe in simple solutions to very complicated problems. And during the campaign, it meant a heck of a lot to me to have the message that I have of bringing people together, that we're Americans before we're Republicans and Democrats. Yep. And, um, and look, I, uh, these things matter to me. Um, I think bringing people together. You know, in my state, you, you pointed out that um, I won a narrow victory. Well, nobody beats incumbent governors in Ohio. They don't do it here either. Right. Okay. Well, I was able to win because we had an economic mess, and I took over, and we've been able to turn that around. We're up yep. almost 400, well, 430,000 jobs. We're balancing budgets. We're running surpluses. But in my reelection, I don't think it was just about that. I mean, economic growth is a given. If people don't have work, right. they got real problems. In fact, I know this, this story that was interesting in the paper. It said if you live in a community that has high poverty, yep. it's not as challenging as if you live in a community where there's no jobs because people want to work, they want to have hope, and that doesn't dismiss the great problems we have with poverty. But, so jo job growth is critical. I tried, to, and I did say this during the campaign. Yeah. But there are other issues that really matter to people. See, I believe that today people feel, many people feel alone. If you're mentally ill, if you're drug addicted, if you're carrying a big student debt, um, these are the kinds of things, if you think you could lose your job, or here's, here's a, a, a group left behind. You're 53 years old, you're a man and a woman, you lose your job, and you don't, you don't know how you're going to find another job. Right. You're, you feel like you're in a rowboat in the ocean yeah. with the big waves coming. And the connection, and, the connection, Governor, you made in this speech was to say you feel alone and there's no one you think you can trust in government to help you. Not, no, no, it's, there's no one that you think you can trust, period. Period. There, nobody cares about you. Right. And, and I told people that we can. So let me just go back. So in Ohio, we did all those things. We dealt with the issue of, of minority unemployment, all right. these things. We brought people together, and I won 86 out of 88 counties, 60% of women, 51% of union households, and 26% right. of African Americans. Because I believe the future of this country is about job growth, but those very personal issues where people feel abandoned. Just yep. think if you were somebody, and you had a kid, and you didn't have a lot of money, and you needed to buy an EpiPen. Right. Or just think if somebody, some goofball at, at, at Wells Fargo uh, created a phony account for you. Yep. And you're the CEO making, what, $163 million or so? It's outrageous, right. okay? So I think people want to believe that they matter. And frankly, it's up to everyone in this audience yep. to make sure that somebody around them knows that they matter to you. That's what America is about. Right. And so I, how can I go with this negative stuff? So, but, you know, Donald Trump, if Donald Trump were sitting here, he would say, but I'm talking about jobs. But I'm talking about bringing the country together. I'm talking about making the lives of, of people better, Governor. I'm just not talking it, uh, about it in the way that you're talking about it. The specifics of my plan may not be the specifics of your plan, but, but I agree with you. It's about jobs. It's about yeah. making people's lives but it's, better. But it's not just about that. It's yeah. about offering this opportunity for people to realize their own yeah. their own uh, personal uh, opportunity in life. Right. I mean, trying to deport 11 and a half million people is absurd from this country, okay? Is it, is it absurd? Um, is, it, is it absurd, Governor? 
Is it absurd on the merits, or is it absurd practically? Is it, is it absurd because you can't possibly do it, or is it absurd because it's the wrong thing to do? It's the wrong thing to do. It's the we wrong are, thing to yeah. do. Now, look, I mean, I don't want anybody breaking the law. And if somebody broke right. the law, they need to be deported. But we have to deal with this practically. And we're not going to rip somebody out of their house and leave, you know, their family on the doorstep wondering what tomorrow is going to be like. That's not who America is. Yep. And by the way, these studies just came out on immigration that basically say that immigration hasn't harmed anybody other than other immigrants who got here a short time earlier. So I'm, I'm a believer that immigration is a good thing and a vibrant thing for our country. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, well, let me, let me tell you a couple other things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't think we should have a religious test on somebody just because they have a particular religion. I don't think that's a very good idea, okay? I actually think that NATO matters. Uh, you know, I, I am not... Yeah. I mean, these are the kind of things, but the list could go on and on and right. on. So there's two kinds of populism. And Bernie was really, uh, I mean, a lot of people... Yeah. Bernie's, you know, Bernie's a scapegoater. Here's what he says. A scapegoater, a scapegoater. Yeah, he, he, you know, the reason why you don't have something is because some rich guy got it. Right. I mean, that's, there's, there's pop, positive populism right. and negative populism. Isn't there a link? And those two guys practice negative populism. So, so we, we've often talked in Texas about this is a middle finger election. Bernie Sanders was the middle finger of the left hand, and Donald Trump is the middle finger of the right hand, right? And, and they were both arguing from a populist standpoint that we're, we're somehow getting screwed, right? There was not a lot of positive. It was more you guys are getting, you guys are getting held down. Well, there's only one thing. If you, yeah. if you check with a lot of people, they were say there were three candidates who they, they could think about supporting. Right. Sanders, Trump, or Kasich. You see, but the, the difference, though. But, but, but you see, I understand those issues. I mean, my father carried mail on his back. I grew right. up in a town if the wind blew the wrong way, people were out of work. You heard what I just said about EpiPen and Wells Fargo. Right. I mean, I was a, a, a military reformer. I challenged the Pentagon when I was there. I do a lot of things that are not fit into a box for Correct. a Republican to do. Now, here's the thing. Um, but there is a populism that says, hey, I got it, but let's go fix it. It's not like I got it and, you know, we're going to bring all the steel mills back. I mean, it's not going to happen. It's a false promise. And I think yeah. that's a serious thing. Right. And it's not just about these candidates that are running. This is a very serious problem. You know, let, let me just give you something to think about, because I think we have a lot of young people, and I hope idealists that are here. Most of us, live, we all live our lives at a very base level. Okay, we live right here, we get up, we go to school, we, you know, we have lunch and dinner, we hang out with our friends, we go to the football game, and you know, we go home, we go to bed. That's the base level. Yep. But it is possible for people to live a life a little bigger than themselves, and that means you begin to live at a higher place. And, and whenever we die, people will always talk about the things we did when we lived at a higher place. And that doesn't mean turning water into wine, it just means realizing that you have to do something bigger than yourself in your life. And I think that we have to think about what yep. we can all do to sort of self-govern and care a little bit. Now, some of us go down into the basement to live, yep. okay? And those are the things we don't want anybody to know about. And those are things that give us a bad reputation. So my sense is... We're living at this base level. Right. Let's live a life a little bit bigger than ourselves because if we try to write laws on all this, right. we're not self-governing. When I hear you say we shouldn't deport 11 million people or when I hear you say 
any of the things you've said that are clearly directed, Governor, at Donald Trump. No, they're not. not. Hillary, well, no, but, no, but, but you're no. naming specific things but, that but he's asking me, You asked me about what negative right. populism is. I'm explaining, giving you some right. examples. This is not directed at Donald Trump. So, you so, got to get it over Trump. I'm talking about the country. Right, but, but, but we, do have an, we do have an election in which people are looking to you to give them hope and guidance as far as what to do. Now, you may That's say it's traveling. everybody's vote. It's everybody's individual vote. Yeah. You said this last weekend on television that you would not vote for Hillary Clinton. You were dismissive about the prospect of voting for her. You know there are many Republicans who've said, as a matter of putting country over party, I feel like I have to do that. You have foreclosed on that idea. Yeah, you I have. said that, yeah. Could you explain why? You didn't explain why well, on Sunday, I, I but I'd be curious I'm, to know. What, what, well, because I'm, I'm not for a top-down government here. We're in the 21st century. You're right. thanking all these people that are supporting right. all this. Half of them are people that are doing exciting things in the 21st century, whether it's autonomous vehicles, drones, uh, whether it's communication, transportation, in so many right. ways. You know, government that's top-down is suffocating. I don't care whether you're a liberal, whether you're a conservative, it, a Democrat, Republican, doesn't matter to me. Right. A heavy bureaucracy from top down doesn't work in America anymore. It just gums up the works. And, and, that's, the what she, and that's what she's advocating that's for? That's what you I think? believe, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And I'm, but, you know, I'm not out here to try to bash all these people. I, I get have, it. I'm out across this country helping Republicans to get elected. I'm going to be, I'm, tomorrow I'll be helping uh, Representative Hurd. You know, I mean, these are things that I, that I right. believe in. So right. I'm helping all the people that I can help that I, yeah. that I think are, you know, are good folks. So when these people in San Antonio tomorrow come up to you when you're campaigning with Representative Hurd and they say, Governor Kasich, tell me who to vote for. I think this is a terrible election. I don't oh, like I don't these candidates. I mean. Well, but so who are you going to vote for? I'm, I'm not prepared to tell you exactly what I'm going to do in the presidential, but what I will tell you is I'm going to vote down ticket for the Republicans that I support. Is it possible you will bypass the presidential? Well, let's, let, me talk, let me talk about that when I want to. But you're not ready to talk about it now? Not, not right here in okay. Texas tonight. Last thing. You, <laughs> but, but you could. Um, let, hey, last for thing. any of you people that aspire to be in politics, when you've got a guy like, you know, chewing at your cuff, pant cuff, and he won't let go, just shoo him off, okay? Yeah. <laughs> You know what? As, as a general rule, I'm not shoeable. I'm just going to tell you. So, uh, uh, would, you would you tell me, uh, uh, Governor, then rather than talking about these individual candidates, talk about issues. Talk about the issues that we should be talking about. You have heard these candidates and these campaigns, and you've heard my colleagues in the press talk about issues for the last few weeks since the conventions. Well, you know, Are we actually, having the right conversation? Actually, I've heard of the media chase a lot of ratings and yeah. not talk much about things. So what, is, so what should we be talking about? Well, what are the issues we should be talking about? But I mean, it, it's not about, everything isn't about, you know, Brian Lochte losing, you know, breaking into a gas station in Rio or what's happening with Brad Pitt and, you know, Angelina Jolie. And I mean, there's other things that matter. Yeah. And, um, you know, I used to, I've done, I've done Meet the Press, I was just there 37 times. Yep. Never in my lifetime was I allowed to call into the show just so I could get a rating. You know, I think the media has to be responsible for the way in which they cover yep. national affairs. But there's another thing here for the people that are here. Wait a minute. There's another thing. So if you're a conservative, you, you watch Fox News, you read the Wall Street Journal, and, uh, you know, you listen to Rush Limbaugh. Right. If you're a liberal, you listen to MSNBC, you read the New York Times, and, and you read the Huffington Post. And you never want to get out of those silos. Look, in America, if we're going to put America ahead of party, then what we have to do is be willing to open our brains to somebody else's point of view every once in a while. Yeah. And, 
And we, and we really are not comfortable with that. We yeah. really want to stick to what we believe in, and it's not right. So sometimes we have to listen to somebody else. And there's another thing. You can disagree with somebody. I want to tell you a funny story. I had a lady that walked out on my uh, State of the State speech. First time I was delivering one. This is like the biggest thing. And, you know, I was just a kid, and I would look at governors, and now I am a governor, make this big speech. She storms out on my speech and leads a protest against me. She, came, she tried to come in and see me a couple months later, and my staff wouldn't let her in. I said, let the lady in. So she comes in, and she's sitting there with me. I said, what can I do for you? She said, you know, we have a problem with human trafficking. I said, really? Uh, I, I know about it worldwide. She said, no, in Ohio. We have like 1,000 people that are human trafficked, 12, 13, 14 years old. I said, you're kidding me. I didn't know that. And she said, yeah. I said, well, how you doing? She's, how you doing? You getting anything done about it? Well, not really. And I said, well, why don't we just go ahead and pass your legislation? And she sat there and stunned. And I went, are you still with me? You know? And she, and she looked at me. I, she said, you would do that. I said, well, it's an issue we agree on. Yep. So we passed it. We have some of the best anti-human trafficking laws in the country. And when I, I went to, up to sign the bill in her district, she was telling everybody what a great guy I was, and when I ran for election, she blasted me. That's okay, okay? Yeah. So that's the way we need to be. We need to think about the greater good, and we yeah. have to lower our own egos a little bit. Well, then let's think about the greater good. Let's, let's use an example from this week about thinking about the greater good. So we've had situations in Charlotte and Tulsa that mm -hmm. are unfortunately not isolated to this week. We've had a conversation about race and law enforcement in the big cities of this country, all across these big cities, uh, all year long, and not just this year. You witnessed close up as governor the Tamir Rice situation. Well, in before your own, that, we've had a number of a number of ones. Yeah. Um, what in the hell are we going to do about this? What are we not doing that we should be doing, Governor? Well, look, in my state, what I did, I had three very smart African-American women come to see me because we, uh, we knew Tamir Rice was coming. I think that was the, because we've had a, a number of them. I don't remember exactly what, what, but they were concerned about this. And they said, we need to have a, a task force. Uh, no, we need to have a commission to study race. And I said, we're not having a commission. Why don't we have a task force? And I said, and why don't we announce it tomorrow? They're like, really? I said, yeah. And here's what we'll do. You, Nina Turner, state senator, you're going to be one of the chair people of this thing, and I'm yeah. going to get somebody who's a, our head of public safety who ran the highway patrol, and he's going to be the co-chairperson of this thing. And then we'll gather, and I mean, this all is kind of not quite in real time, but the way we did it in about 24 hours, we appointed law enforcement and community folks yep. on this. They sat down, and God bless what Nina Turner did. Her, her, her son actually happens to be a policeman. She's very liberal. She's a fixture on MSNBC. She was Bernie Sanders, big Bernie Sanders supporter. Absolutely. Right? Yes. So she was very important in keeping it together. We came out with a statewide policy on the use of deadly force, a statewide policy on recruiting and hiring. Yep. Uh, we are now beginning to create a collaborative that brings police and community together because here's where we are. There is nobody that thinks we don't need police. Everybody knows we need to have police. And frankly, the, the families uh, and friends of policemen want them to come home at night, okay? That's a given. But we also know there are people in the community who feel as though they're not getting justice. In fact, they think their government's even working against them. You can't just let that sit there. You get people together and you work together to try to communicate together. So we have been able to keep calm in many of the places that we have. I can't say that it's always going to work out that way, but yeah. thank God it has. 
And, <clears throat> but it's also about criminal justice reform. Mm -hmm. It's also about supporting law enforcement. It's also about uh, ending collateral sanctions. It's about helping minority businesses to get, a, uh, to get a start. And you put all those things together and reforming schools, you know, hopefully at some point where reform will actually work, yep. um, where you have people saying, okay, I think I'm getting a fair hand. Yep. And you work with people. Now, I, I was just uh, at the White House with the president on the trade deal, which I think is really important. Indeed. It was and you and Mayor, Mayor Kasim Reed from Atlanta, who's a Democrat, yeah. and Henry Paulson, the former Treasury Secretary right, under right. George Bush. It's a real bipartisan group. Right. But I, I talked to, um, to Valerie Jarrett, who's you know, an influential advisor to the president, about this notion of why do we not have a national commission on race and community, which I think we ought to have. Right. She thought, well, you know, doing it in the states makes a lot of sense. But I've been pointing out for a long time, including in the presidential debates, which no one noticed because I wasn't calling anybody a name, that we actually, that we actually have a program that people could look at. Because communication solves a lot. It doesn't yep. solve everything. But if I respect you and you respect me, regardless of what our politics are, we can find some ways in which to get along. That is what is missing in the country. So the issue of race is a tough one. You can't put your head in the sand. You can't just play games with it. You have to address it. And that's yeah. what we're doing in Ohio, and it appears to be going exceedingly well. Yeah. The, uh, the TPP uh, 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 meeting that you referred to, I want to ask you about that, because that is a case of, of you acting maybe atypically in this election year. We have a Republican and a Democratic candidate for president, both of whom oppose this Trans-Pacific Partnership, this trade uh, plan. But you, well, I think Hillary is against it before she, or she was, she was for, for it before, before she, she was against, against it. She, she, uh, she indicated it's in her called, book she thought it was the yeah. gold standard of these yeah. agreements. That's kind of called pander. Campaigning, she said she was yeah. against it. So they're, so they're both against it. Sanders yeah. was against it. Cruz against it. You've decided to come out and say you're for it, even though you understand that politically that's an unpopular position in some quarters to have. Can you talk about why you think that that's trade not agreement? The, that's not the not most the, unpopular position it's, I have well, at this it point. Well, it is an unpopular okay. position. But talk, Look, talk about why you think that's a good idea. Well, first of all, if you don't have trade, yeah. then you lose innovation. And if you don't have trade, you end up driving up the price in the, uh, of products and you have lower quality. I mean, yeah. it's just not complicated. Are there people that are hurt in this? Absolutely. Right. But, you know, people talk about, like, the smoke, the, the steel mills, right? I grew up in Pittsburgh. Now people are working at, uh, at Uber, and they're in the autonomous vehicle section of Uber. There's 500 people growing to 1,000. So trade allows us to be innovative, and we're a knowledge country now. You know, we don't make the iPhone, but we invented the iPhone. You know, so... We need to keep moving up as a society when we're moved to a knowledge place. Right. But there's one other issue. There are a lot of very small, fragile, weak nations in Asia, and they live in the shadow of China. And they're saying, we want to have a relationship with you, United States. But I got to tell you, if you don't have a relationship with us, what are we supposed to do with this, this country called China, which has become increasingly re repressive and aggressive? The two people who are the most against this agreement are Vladimir Putin and Xi over in China. That in and of itself gives me a reason to be for it. Right. So I, I want to have that agreement. The and enemy let me say one enemy, other right. thing. Yeah. Yeah. You can go into the universities. We can talk about all the problems that America has. Frankly, folks, look, we have, to, we have to continue to support human rights. We have to continue to be engaged in the world. We have to continue to lead. If we don't, who's going to do it? And I mean, that's just basic, you know, 
it's just basic thinking about our country, and trade is a very important part of it. Right. Now, you, you are supporting something that is on the president's agenda, and that can be politically perilous for a Republican no, I mean, these I, days. I disagree with the president on a lot of things. He knows right. it, but I, I mean, on this, I agree. But so. it's not the only thing that you've agreed with the president, or as you say, taken an unpopular position on. You're a Republican governor, not the only one, who made a decision to expand Medicaid. Right. You, you oppose other aspects of the Affordable Care Act, as right. I understand it. Yeah. And in fact, you've called for everything but the expansion of Medicaid to be repealed. Well, I think Obamacare doesn't work. It's top-down, right. it's heavy bureaucratic, and frankly, it, 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 is, it also imposes requirements on insurance yeah. policies that have driven up the cost. I mean, but expanding Medicaid, I got a chance to do it. And what I had to decide was, do I want to help 400,000 Ohioans? Yeah. And, and can I manage Medicaid to the point where I'm not going to break, break the bank? Because I'm not going to go weak on right. the need to have a balanced budget in my state. So right. this deal was in the first few years, I didn't pay any match. And at the end, I pay a 10% match when my normal match is, right. you know, 38% or something. Now so, you, yeah. But let me tell you, so yeah. 400,000 people now get health care. They get treatment for mental illness, and they get treatment for the problem of, develop, of, uh, of addiction. Right. Now, if I don't treat them, if I don't do this, then they live in an emergency room, which costs more for everybody. And their health care is yeah. not good. Yeah. And if I don't treat them when they're drug addicted, they end up in prison. Now, and if I don't treat them with mental illness, they either sleep under a bridge or they live in prison. Yeah. Now, what am I supposed to do? Say no, walk away from it? Now, I was one of the first ones to get out and expand Medicaid. My Medicaid budget has been, you know, I cut it from the growth of it from like 10 to 2% without cutting anybody off the rolls. I modernized right. the system. So here's, here's the question, you know, so I expanded. It got everybody stirred up. I, it kept asking me these questions during the debate, and because I didn't call anybody a name, nobody really quite uh, listened. Nobody paid attention. But you can see how many governors now are trying to do this very thing, but just calling it by another name, which well, is okay with me. Well, in fact, that's been the, you know, you're sitting in a state where we, we know the uninsured problem like no other state knows the uninsured problem. We're right now at 17.1%, 4.6 million. We lead the country in our uninsured population. You started out with a population of the uninsured that was a little more than 17% before the Affordable Care Act. You're now down to 6.5% That's a good statistic. I need to write that you down. You to write that down? That's good. <laughs> and the argument, the argument that you made, well, I didn't pay anything the first couple of years, now I'm paying a 10% match, and what am I gonna do, send them to the emergency room, is exactly what is being yeah. held up here as the reason not to Look, expand. There's, there's also a lot of concern here in the country on welfare, okay? Right. And these welfare things. So I want to tell you a couple things about welfare. Though yeah. I was involved in reforming welfare. You know, I was chairman of the budget committee. When you were in Congress, budget, right. I was also very involved in welfare. Bill reform. Clinton was president at the time. This is Bill Clinton yeah, welfare after, reform. Yeah, right. yeah, he yeah. vetoed it three times, and then we finally, you know, got him to sign it. Right. Um, I sense a story you want to tell. No, no, I want to tell you. I, no, I don't want to tell that story. Here's yeah. what I want to tell yeah. you. I want to tell you why poverty, in my opinion, is endemic in our society. Okay. You see, the way that a welfare office gets measured is by how fast they pay the benefits and how little fraud there is. Yep. Makes sense. Uh, here's the problem. Nobody ever asks anybody who's getting the welfare benefits, what's your problem? Because there's no incentive for that in the system. Now, if you lose your job and you want to get trained, you have these training programs. Let me tell you how they work. <clears throat> you get judged on how quickly you get somebody back to work. Good idea. 
So what you do is you take the person who had a, was a bank teller and you get them another job, you get a gold star. Yep. But if you have somebody that's never seen anybody work, and if you've never had anybody who you, has ever modeled anything about how to, how to do these things, we don't help you because we don't get a gold star for that. So we, the people come from welfare, and there's nobody trying to help them ultimately to get out of it. And if you're in job training, if you don't have a job or a great work experience, we don't help you. So what I'm proposing is, and we're doing this, we're executing this in Ohio, if you're 16 to 24, if you come for welfare, we're gonna give it to you. But I'm telling you what we're gonna do. We're gonna find out what your problem is and we're gonna fix you so you can get a job and have a good life. Right. Okay, if you're 25 years old, we, we're not doing anything for you because we can't handle the whole system. But there's another thing. For those who are on welfare who are able-bodied, yep. they have to work 30 hours a week. You don't know this. They have to work, if they don't work 30 hours a week, we take their benefits away. So what I want to do, though, is I want the effort to get a GED to count as the work requirement. Okay? Now, I need a waiver from the federal government. I can't get it. The Republicans don't want to give it, and the, Republic and the Democrats don't want to give it, so I, I got to wait till the election's over, and then I suspect I'm going to get it. Yeah. Because I want somebody to get a GED so they can get a job. Yep. And so if we begin to do that and get at the root causes, are we going to fix everything? Of course not. Right. We may, we may only fix 50%, but yep. that's 50% better than we're doing right now. You, you, and that's all tied back to Medicaid and, you know, these people don't want to work and all this other stuff. It's not that simple. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you talked about the economy in Ohio and the improvement that you were able to bring to the table. Uh, you started out with about a $7.7 .7 billion budget shortfall when you became governor. You have turned that around into a $2 billion uh, budget surplus. So right. you did an almost $10 billion turnaround. You mentioned the job uh, picture. The, uh, you were down 350,000 jobs when you started. Now you're up 417,000 jobs. God, I ought to run for president with that record. Yeah, right. <laughs> Started out with 9.2% unemployment in Ohio, you're now down to 4.7%. What did you do? And why can't it be replicated if, it's, if it worked in Ohio? Well, think about Ohio State football, and that'll give you a... Do I have to? <laughs> Look, I, I think part of it is we, just like Texas, I mean, we are a big state. Yep. And we have a capability of doing many things. I also privatized economic development. We don't do it in the state anymore. We have a not-for-profit entity that spends all of its time trying to get people jobs. Yep. And we're also diversifying our economy. So do we believe in manufacturing? Sure, but we think mostly advanced manufacturing is the ticket for the future. But we believe in IT, we believe in, in energy, transportation, logistics. I mean, these areas, and then we go out and try to get them, and we're business friendly. Yep. I mean, we're not gonna run you out of town because you make a mistake. You believe in economic incentives to attract business? That's but controversial limited. here. Limited, yeah. limited. In other words, I will never buy the deal. You know, buying the deal means I'm in a, a competition with somebody else and they offer more than I have Ratchet to offer it up, more. You know right. what I tell them? Yeah. If you want somebody to buy the deal, go ahead. But if you come to Ohio, I want to be your partner. And here's one other thing that we're working on really aggressively, and that's the issue of workforce. And I would commend everybody in this, in this auditorium, if you think you know what you want to do, then go get the skills to do it. And you have to have skills. In the 21st century, no skills, no pay. Yep. And it's one of the biggest issues we have. That's one of the biggest challenges we need. To see, I believe we have to have an education system that takes us from kindergarten to retirement with a robust system to constantly be improving people's skills. So in a trade deal, 
If you work, it, you know, if you work in a job and you lose your job, we have to be prepared to train you for another job. Because in this knowledge economy, there's always emerging jobs that give you opportunity. But if you've never been trained in resilience, heart, you know, in, in, a, in ability to move your skills around, to solve problems, it's not going to work. That's the problem with our education system today. Yeah. It's based on a system that <coughs> was put together over 100 years ago. So we're going on for a lot of stuff. No, here. no, I, I think that's really great. I mean, you may, no, no, this, this is what we want, actually. And I want to say two, uh, two more subjects quickly. We're going to go to questions here uh, in, in not long from now. Uh, on education, another area where you veered from the traditional Republican governors in this country, you are for Common Core. Well, look, look, that's a big, that's a big hyper goofy thing. Okay? Well, explain though. I mean, well, because I, no, here's what, here's what, here's what Common. What, I am not for somebody in Washington trying to tell me what to do. Okay, I'm right. not. I'm for local school control. But what we want is to make sure that our kids can read, write, add, and compute. Yep. And so more discipline on that so that people can be in a position of being able to acquire the skills. The Common Core was put together by governors. There's problems with it. But I want to make sure that we give our kids, no matter if you live in Texas, if you live in Arkansas, if you live yeah. in West Virginia or Ohio, everybody gets the same opportunity to be able to be successful. But I'm not, that, that, that whole thing about Common Core was like looking for an eclipse or something. It, it, it was so over, overstated and... Right. It was silly. But you are a believer in education reform, whatever you say about Well, I mean, I'm just saying other. to you, the question is for all the people here, do you think that our young children are being prepared to inherit a world of high technology, yep. of the ability to think, solve problems, and if we don't have a system that's providing that for them, what are we going to do about it? And in addition, on higher education, you know, I don't know what it costs to go here. It costs a fortune to go to school. I mean, they need to start managing these places. Well, I'll tell you what's going to happen. Higher education is going to be disintermediated. What they're going to do is people are going to increasingly get their education online at a fraction of the cost with a real-world college experience, um, and they're going to figure out how to do it. And we're also, we also are going to move to a point, in my judgment, where credentials are really going to matter, that there will be a lot of people that won't have to have a four-year education, yep. and maybe not even a two-year, if we can give them the skills they need to move in a fast-paced society with determination on their part to learn. Yep. I mean, the, the standard program we have now is not working. How about a school system? I'm going to try to put in this Christo Ray model. I don't think we're going to get it, but here's what it says. You go to school for three weeks, and the fourth week you go work for somebody, and you learn that way. You know, sometimes education gets in the way of learning. Yep. Yeah. Um, you're in a big energy Get state. It? Yeah, we got it. We got it. It's a good, it's a good line. <laughs> you're, you're in a big energy state, Governor. You know this is the state that produces the most crude oil of any in the country. That's great when the price per barrel of oil is 100 bucks. It's less great when it's 45. Uh, we think a lot about energy. We think well, that, a lot that about... that depends. Yeah. Why I is mean, that? If I go to the gas station and the crude is down, I well, it's good for us, right? As, right? as consumers, we think a lot about energy. We think a lot about the environment. You, I believe, have said that you believe climate change is yeah. I, I think it's real. real. I don't want to overreact to it, but I think it's real. Right. But you know that the the mere fact that you say those words that's a controversial that's a controversial thing. Look, look, you know. When you get to be in public life or you get responsibility, yeah. put your hands on the wheel and drive the car. Yeah. What am I supposed to do? 
like take a poll, you know, who's going to like this or that? Now look, when I, say, when I say I believe there's climate change, I do. What you do about it, I'm not for shutting down all this fossil fuel. I, I think right. this is extreme. Well, you did advocate for a state tax on, on fr hydraulic fracturing, did well, you Well, you yours is higher than ours, and I'd like to get ours higher so I can cut my income tax instead of you taking all my, you know, my liquids out of my state and living high on the hog here in Texas, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I like you, but I don't like that yeah. idea. But right. what I'm saying is I think we need everything. I mean, you know, look, a Tesla is an amazing car. Yep. Um, you know, are we going to get a breakthrough in battery technology? If we do, it's going to change everything in this country. But I believe in solar and wind and all that. But let me tell you, uh, I believe in fossil fuels as well. And, you know, with coal, clean it. You know, dig it, clean it, and burn it. I mean, nuclear power, you know, look, people who are extreme on this, I think, I think there's a lot, lot of people who are extreme. But I do think this environment needs to be managed. Yeah. I mean, I believe that this, this earth, this environment was given to us by the Lord, and we have an obligation to take care of it, but not worship it. Yeah. Governor, I want to end our portion of this where we, you began it, that you mentioned the two-path speech. I went back and re-listened to this speech. I remember at the time, this was August 12th, it was the Women's National Republican Club in New York, and you talked about the choices for this country in this campaign, and you talked about the choices for this country going beyond this campaign. You, you had a positive message, you had pride in this country, you said basically, don't tell me America's not great. You talked about the importance of making unpopular decisions, leadership is walking down a lonely road, and you were civil. And you were civil. We've moved away from a lot of the things I just said, being positive, being prideful, um, taking unpopular stances, and especially we've moved away from civility in our politics and in our communities. How do we get back? Is it quaint to think that we can get back to this? What no, do we do? But, Give us something hopeful to end this portion well, on. Let me, well, look, I mean, this is for everybody in this room. Yeah. We live at the base level. Are we willing to live a life a little bit bigger than ourselves? That's the question. And am I optimistic that we can? Yeah, I think when put in those terms, yeah. it's possible for all of us to achieve a life a little bit bigger than ourselves. We're not, we're not searching for sainthood here. We're just talking for not even returning to, but recognizing that, that virtue matters that caring about somebody else matters. It's yeah. part of the great religions, you know? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. I'm not trying to be pie in the sky here, but I tell you, the fact that we don't do it, and I, want to, I keep going to, back to EpiPen, so why don't I pass a law? Okay, well, I pass a law, and then it hurts somebody else that wants to start a company. Yeah. I mean, there are unintended consequences. We need to learn to self-govern. But don't wait for somebody else. Yeah. I was... Um, I was out in Oregon, and um, I pulled into this, through these town halls. These town halls were remarkable. People showed up, and they basically talked about a lot of their hopes and fears. So I pull in the driveway. I look behind the school. There's a Little League baseball game going on. And I go inside, and a um, guy raises his hand. He says, what are you going to do about our drug problem? I said, sir, I, I pulled in here. I know a lot about Little League baseball because I played. Kids in their uniforms, the parents are in the stands, and... I said, you think they made an announcement about don't do drugs at that game? I said, I'll bet not. And now we're in the school. Do you think the teachers each week are telling kids to stay off drugs? I said, Probably not. And I don't know what service organization you're in, but have you taken on this issue in this small little town? So you think that, and you probably haven't, so you think I'm going to be president. You've never even had a presidential candidate here before. That's why you're all here. Um, 
Do you think I'm going to come in on Air Force One, bring a limousine in here, and solve your drug problem? Yep. You've got to solve your drug. What are you waiting for? Godot doesn't exist. You know, you've got to start doing it. And we can't think that we can roll all this stuff back overnight. It's, it, it's got to be done a little at a time. Singles and doubles, and, you know, they work. And so that's what I want people to think about. It's not sainthood. It's just right. do a little bit something for somebody else. You'll feel good about it. Yeah. That's kind of the way I, you, I look at this. You think we're going to be okay after this election regardless of the outcome? Yeah, you, because people don't want to, you know, they just had an election in Rome. They elected this woman that said, throw all the bums out. I don't have any experience, but right. I know how to fix it. And now they're getting ready to throw her out. And they're saying, right. maybe we ought to bring the old team back. Right. No, here's the thing. There is never, because there's people here who are highly educated, you wouldn't be here. There is no such thing as a simple solution to a complicated problem. <clears throat> there are complicated solutions to complicated problems, but they can all be worked out. Yep. And that's where we're going to end up, because people are, they don't want to live in this state of, of anger. People don't want to live like that. And we just have to get through this yep. and then see where we go. But it's going to be up to everybody here and people right. just like, like these folks all over the country. You're term limited, right? You can't Thank serve God. beyond two terms as governor. Yeah. So you're done in 2018. That sounds like a good time to run for president again. Have you thought about that? <laughs> you know, really, I, I, I have no clue. Um, it's like finishing a marathon and somebody says, go run another one. You know, I have a family, I have a life. Right. But here's what I do know. Whether I do or not, I would like to have a voice yep. for these kinds of things as long as I'm, I'm able to speak. Right. And whatever I can create a forum, could I run? Maybe. Will I run? Have no idea. I mean, have, I'm, haven't ruled it out, haven't ruled it in. Well, of course I haven't ruled it in, or you'd have to, I'd have to have something wrong with me to have ruled it in. Um, it's a grueling, tough process. Yeah. But I want to contribute. Can I say one last thing here? Of course, here and to then we're going to go to questions. Yes, sir. Uh, and this may be something, I want you just to think about this for a second, okay? We're in a nation that has grown increasingly secular. Part of the reason why we have a problem is because religious people have given us have, have done a really great job of making religion look terrible, okay? See, to me, virtue, morality, faith, our responsibilities have to come from somewhere. If you're a humanist, fine. Okay, you can wake every day and try to figure out the world. But for a society, I believe we need to have some North Stars and some compasses. There's two great truths in the, you know, we happen to be Jewish and Christian, but, you know, we welcome any of the religions. But in the Jewish and Christian, and particularly in the Jewish tradition, you live a life bigger than yourself. In the, in, in, and even Moses brought this down from the mountain. And Jesus himself said this to Christians. Number one, love God. Number two, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And you see, what that talks about is, fun, frankly, living a life a little bit bigger than ourselves. And so when you work for an insurance company and somebody says, we're going to deny this claim because I'm going to get a bonus, better think twice. If you are working at Wells Fargo and somebody tells you to put out a phony account, if you have good virtue and value, you know that's not right. So rather than driving religion out of every single part of our country, because when I say religion, you think he's coming in the bedroom, I'm not interested. 
I'm, I'm interested in people realizing the dues that religion can bring, which is about grace and love and help. And if we can bring those things back, I think we'll be a healthier society. And I'm writing a book, and it's going to come out next year, and it's going to be a little bit about the campaign, but it's going to be an awful lot about a lot of the things we talked about here. And, um, and uh, you know, hopefully I'll come back and, and, uh, and talk about it when it's done. Because I hope it'll be helpful to people. Good. Um, Governor, we'll take questions. Is that yeah. all right? Good. Can they turn the audience lights up? Yeah, we'll put the lights up. We're going to put the lights up. We'll have microphones in the aisle. I'm going to tell you that we have a, a, a wow, hard out. A lot of people we, here we have tonight. a hard Can out. Can we stand? Can we stand? You want to stand huh? up? Yeah, I'd um, like to and, stand uh, up. And we'll have a hard out at a certain point, and we're going to take as many as we can, but yeah, we're going to stop when we to have short. to stop. Oh, I can't take this so, off. So microphone okay. up, both sides. And let's start over here. Right. Sir, right, right here in the front. Governor Kasich, hi, I'm Ryan Pakovich. I'm a senior at UT Austin. Presidential debates are coming up. If you had one question to ask the candidates, what would it be? Question is, what would the one question that Governor Kasich would ask the candidates in the upcoming debate? Oh, um, <laughs> you stumped me. Um, I, I guess I would ask him, what, 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 what are you going to do to return a little optimism and hope to the country? That's, I guess, what I would, I don't know. I'd have to think about okay. it, but good, good. question. Sir. Governor Kasich, uh, you talked about in the, uh, in the debates how you were running on the Kasich lane, I think, as opposed to the establishment lane or the yeah. Tea Party lane or anything like that. Uh, with uh, so much, uh, everything's heading towards the extremes in both parties, it seems like. What role do you have in the Republican Party or in just the, the general discourse going forward as a moderate? Well, look, well, first of all, I'm, I'm a conservative, okay? But secondly, I think everybody's here tonight. I must be having some impact. I mean, right. I mean people show up. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm campaigning for people. I have a good record in Ohio. And you just keep, you know, you don't want to brag about it, but you want to let people know what you're doing. And um, we're going to be okay. The, part, the parties are never going to survive being extreme. By the way, one of the things we should get rid of is gerrymandering. Because what these, you know... You know, he didn't ask me this question. Three things, three things. The, the presidential debates that the Republicans had were just so stupid, because all it was was about saying something to get on the news the next day. That, that was ridiculous. We should do town halls like this where you get, you know, in-depth questions. Number two, a handful of rich people shouldn't decide who should be president of the United States, okay? Number three, Number three, the, you know, the idea that you have a, a campaign in New Hampshire and then you head immediately for the next six months to the South is not a balanced presentation about how America works. And that should be changed as well. And, um, but, in t but look, I, I don't think we're going to exist on the extremes. The problem with gerrymandering is this. Once you gerrymander, somebody has to watch their right if they're a Republican or their left if they're a Democrat, and that polarizes. We need to have an aggressive effort. Yep. And Arnold, frankly, was one of the first ones to do it in California. This gerrymandering is bad, and I'll tell you what makes it, it's always gone on, forever. But what makes it particularly bad is the segmented, siloed media that watches everything you do, and if you don't do it, then they transmit that you're, you're a no-good bum and we should defeat you. And we, we got to get gerrymandering reform. We also need a balanced budget amendment to the United States Constitution to force the Congress to do its job. Ah. Okay? Sir. 
Thank you very much, uh, Governor Kasich. I really enjoyed this. Um, I'm Alexander Chase. I'm the editor of the Daily Texan, but I'm asking you this question as a 21-year-old student who cares about his brother and had some very difficult questions with his parents uh, this election cycle. You ran on a platform that very much talked about how great your state was and how much you'd done for it as governor. During your time as governor, we've also had President Obama in office, and he likes to claim a lot of successes as well. To what degree has he helped your state and in your party? How much did it hurt you to be running in uh, a year where you, your success had to come at the same time as a president's success that your opponents didn't want to say existed? You willing to give him credit, the president, for what he did, some successes? Um, I don't get, look, I think that the wind's in my face from Washington, to tell you the truth. And I think I'd be doing a lot better if we didn't, I didn't have to ask permission for a lot of these things I have to do. Um, but I don't kind of look at it that way. I appreciate what he did on Medicaid expansion. Yeah. Okay, for example, I appreciate that. Um, but I think we could be, do let me tell you where we are. We have the lousiest economic growth post-World War II ever. And it, it's really creating a big problem. And it's creating this economic anxiety. And I think the reason it's happening is we can't control our budgets. We over-regulate and we, we over-tax. And when you do those things, and I'm not saying it from an ideological point of view, like I'm some, you know, some guy coming out of some think tank here. This is the reality. And what's happened in Ohio, because we balance our budget, because we have reduced taxes, and because we, we work with businesses, because we're business friendly, we've grown. I don't get that out of Washington. So <clears throat> I'm always willing to give somebody credit for things. Um, and, you know, for example, I give him a lot of credit for killing Osama bin Laden and using the drones effectively. You do, get, you do give him credit for that. Yeah, of course. Right. Ma'am. Hi, Governor. My name is Lori. I'm a student over at the LBJ School. Um, my question is to a point that you just brought up about rich people in our elections. Um, on the campaign trail, uh, neither you nor any of the Republicans, as far as I'm aware, released a plan or said anything very specific at all about what you would actually do to fix this problem. So I'm wondering... In campaign what, finance. Uh, campaign, in campaign, campaign finance, finance yeah. reform. So what exactly do you think we need to do to reduce the influence of money in politics? You know what? I, I don't know be honest with you, because every time we reform it, we say it's the worst system, let's reform it again. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure. And I'm actually going to say that probably in my book. But what I will tell you is, I think, first of all, immediate disclosure, complete transparency is important. Does that solve it? I'm not sure it does. I'm not sure it does. So how, what are you going to do if you try to say, well, you can't give, then we have a situation where the court says you violate the freedom of speech. So public financing, I, I'm not convinced that's going to work either. So we have to think about it. Now, the, the solutions on that are important, but what's more important than the mechanics of that is what's in your heart. It, you know, you can't legislate somebody to, to, to just be independent, okay? How did I do here today? Was I independent? Did I say a lot of things that were, oh, I wasn't? Oh, really, I kind of weaseled? Okay, never mind. <laughs> Let's, hey, uh, let's go on to the next person. Hey, but, well, okay, uh, I just don't know. I don't what know about what Citizens United? What about Citizens United specifically? As that's a flashpoint on campaign finance. Yeah, I don't. I don't like the idea that a that a guy can give you know five, ten million dollars to somebody and prop up their campaign. I don't like that. But I mean, what do you do about it? That's yeah. a Supreme Court decision. Okay. Right. So if the court reverses it, we live with that. But you tell me the best way to finance these campaigns. I, I don't have an, a great answer to it. Do you it. take big checks from rich people during your campaign? Not as many as I would like. Okay, good answer. <laughs> so, 
I'm just going to pitch these softballs yeah. up to you for the rest of the night. We'll see what happens. Sir. Uh, hi, Governor Kasich. My name is Diego de la Torre, and I am part of an organization dedicated to engaging youth in politics. I am a high school senior, and I had a question for you regarding party polarization in America. Um, what do you suggest in a time growing party polarization? You know, according to the Pew Research Center, we haven't been this polarized since the years leading up to the Civil War. What do you suggest the role of the rising youth is in tackling this um, polarization in government? Well, the first thing is, being a senior in high school, I'm glad that you're interested in politics, but I really want you to get to school and develop skills and worry about politics later, okay? Right. One of my daughters wants to be, you know, she's kind of interested in politics. She's 16, my twins. One of them is and one of them isn't. And somebody says, would you like to be in politics, Reese? And she said, not until I make a lot of money. So I, I would say to you, make sure you get your skills. Um, I have an amazing life story in politics, but like I made the NBA, okay? Most people don't. And they go down to Washington, they work in some congressional office, and then 20 years later, they're like, what, what am I gonna do now? So make sure you get your skills. In terms of a young person, just tell people how you feel about things. You know, tell your friends, don't go there. You know, this is what I believe. And when you go to, on to the community college or the four-year school, just go out and say that. Say that's yeah. not, one of the things that I learned, young man, in this campaign is I'm so optimistic about the youth because what I have found is that you don't really care a heck of a lot about money. You believe in ideals and you believe in, in being idealistic. And I want to tell you something, so do I. Don't give it up, okay? Because I'm really, I have become so positive in my mind about the young people that I met all across the country because it really is about living a life a little bit bigger than themselves. You agree with that? You better say yes, because that <laughs> woman wouldn't agree to anything, okay? Good yes. question, sir. Yes, sir. Governor Kasich, my name is Trenton Beckendorf. I'm a computer science major at the University of Texas. And my question to you is, where does the GOP go from here? Because for students like myself, this is the first time that we can participate in voting for the President of the United States, and this is the GOP that we're witnessing. After 2012, the GOP had a postdoc report that said what steps needed to be taken to be able to win the next election. It was to bring people into the party, bring in groups that weren't part of the GOP historically, and have an inclusive ideal that could actually get them to join under the tent of the GOP. How does the GOP do that in the future? Well, I think they need to look at the model we've created in Ohio. Ohio now has kind of gone red, at least for this election. It went from purple to pink, and now it's probably turning red because people feel they're included, they feel that there's a fairness, and they also feel like they've got economic stability. So I don't think we have to look that far. I think we have a lot of those issues that we've done in Ohio with the way we've, and it's not just me, it's all the leaders that pulled everybody together. And um, that's why we're having, that's why, frankly, the race is so close in Ohio. So if you, why don't you come and move there, we'll put you, give you, you know, come to Ohio State, we've got a good computer. No, I can't do that while I'm here. Who, go, Governor, Governor, who's going to win Ohio? No Republicans won it's the presidency in history right without now. it. You think too it's close. too close to call? Yes, right now. You have All no the, idea. It depends on the turnout and the enthusiasm in the urban areas. Okay. Hi, good evening, Governor Sir. Kasich. Uh, my name is Davis Truesman. I go to the University of Houston. I'm sorry, I'm in enemy territory. <laughs> But uh, you were touching base on religious guidance and living life on a selfless higher level. And I was wondering how your faith has guided you throughout your everyday life as governor. Well, look, I don't, I don't like to open the Bible to figure out what I think. But, you know, here's the, here's the <clears throat> let me tell you what happened. 
when I was a very young man, I was involved in faith issues. I was a Catholic boy and all this, did all the stuff Catholic boys do. And, and uh, then I went to college. You know, I mean, I was, you know, I was an altar boy and a commentator and all that kind of stuff. And I went to college and uh, basically forgot about it. Kind of looked at religion as a, uh, you know, rabbit's foot. You know, if I want something good to happen, I, you know, I, I say a prayer. In 1987, my mother and father were killed uh, by a drunk driver. And it started a long experience for me. Uh, 1987 was, uh, that's 29 years ago. And I have spent most of my adult lifetime, I don't read political books, I read a lot of faith books. And I'll tell you what I try to do. All I try to do is to develop, first of all, I, did, I wasn't even sure when my parents died that I even believed in God. And I went through a long process and aggravated a lot of people. But I have concluded, not just on the basis of some blind faith, but on the basis of what I think is a lot of evidence, that he does exist and that I can have a, a relationship with him. And so, you know, I'm here really to try to do what I think the big guy wants me to do. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to write a law or sign a bill, or that's not what it's about. I would say the most profound impact that faith has on me is to make sure we're not running over people right. who don't have any power. And to, and to give you an example, my biggest increase in the budget last year was for the developmentally disabled. So it just makes me more aware of vulnerabilities, and that's about it. And, um, and what I'm talking about in terms of living a higher calling, you could be a humanist who wakes up every day trying to, yeah. trying to better the world. I'm all for that. But I think as a society, we need to have a sense of what our duties and personal responsibilities are as we live our lives. And I'm not trying to, you know, lay some trip on you here. I'm just trying to tell you that I, I just think as we have drifted farther and farther away from these sense of my responsibility, things have become very chaotic <clears throat> and people feel as though increasingly I'm on my own. And when I feel like I'm on my own, I'm not about to look around and see who I need to help. And that's what, how it basically works for me. Thanks for asking. Governor, here in the state of Texas, there is a debate ongoing about the role of faith in lawmaking. People say that, in fact, faith informs their decision-making, and then there is a place for faith in politics. Well, you know what? I, I tell you something. The longer I'm around this, the more I think that we ought to have people of faith stay the hell out of politics and just go take care right? of their well, neighbors. All right. Okay. Sir. Uh, uh, Governor, a lot of your black citizens have been killed by police, not just Tamir Rice, also John Crawford in a Walmart, also yeah. Tyree King, others. Evan asked you about the policing crisis. I'm sorry your answer was very thin, not what I've come to expect from you after listening to you in all the debates. What do you want to do about the policing crisis that is killing a lot of your black citizens? Yeah. Well, we... Well, I think that we've done, we've done quite a bit by enacting programs now on the use of deadly force and the issues of hiring and, and, and uh, recruiting uh, and uh, the fact that we're probably going to have body cameras and the fact that we've created a collaborative where we're bringing people together to understand one another's issues. And I think we're going to see a reform that was going to move in the legislature that has to do with the grand jury process. Now, it's not just that. It's also the issues of giving everybody a sense that they can rise. And I think I mentioned things like reforming the Cleveland schools, uh, issues like uh, yeah. being, for the first time in our history, carrying out set-aside so minorities can, can develop entrepreneurship and be successful, criminal justice reform so we're not locking up all these nonviolent criminals in a prison next to somebody 
uh, who's a murderer, where we have now, where we have a recidivism, where we have a recidivism rate that's half the national average, where we have people who have committed crimes who are being given skills and an opportunity to get out and have another life. I think we've done quite a bit. And, you know, communication within the community, a sense of fairness and a sense of justice when these things happen. So we've had these problems, but it's pretty interesting that while people marched, and I encouraged them to be able to march and express themselves, we haven't had violence like you've seen in other parts of the country. So I think we've made some great progress. Is there any work that you need to do within law enforcement to do better training or anything that's, else? That's all in, it's, all in the, it's all in the recommendations. Yeah, more money for training, right. more money for, but we have to also see how we recruit because we don't want to have a, have a law enforcement force that doesn't have some you know, reflection on, in terms of the community that they police. So yeah, training really matters, recruiting really matters, and um, you know, and I'm also very interested in this whole grand jury thing, because if the grand jury business doesn't work and people don't trust right. it, it, it sows real discord. Now some people in the country say, I'm with the police, okay? So am I. I don't know anybody who's not with police. But I also know that there are people who feel as though, and have been treated, look at the indictment we just saw in Tulsa, okay? Right. So my sense of this is people have to talk together. You don't take one side or the other. You right. realize these problems, and you, you know, and I think we're doing it in our state. And I think it's, it's paid off with some pretty good, darn good and, results. And am I remembering after the Tamir Rice uh, uh, situation, uh, the grand jury did not indict in that case, No, right? I mean, not only that, but we had a case, the Crawford case, you know, uh, and that was a case of a guy walking around in a Walmart with a gun, a toy yeah. gun. Okay, yeah. but you know, look at the case in, we just had a case in Columbus where a young man had a BB gun with a scope on it. Right. When guns are there, you know, it's not easy for a law enforcement officer to have a debate with himself if he thinks there's a gun. So it's, it's very, very challenging. Now the case in Tulsa is different. Yeah. There was no gun. <clears throat> I don't know enough about the case in Charlotte, but I think a national conversation has to occur because if one side says it has to be this way, you're just going to set off a pressure cooker effect. And, you know, we're going to have an explosion in our communities, which I think largely can be avoided. Okay. Sir. Good evening, Governor Kasich. My name is Hussein Al-Khafaji, and I'm a freshman here at the University of Texas at Austin. Uh, according to a Mother Jones 2014 report, Ohio ranks fifth nationwide in carbon emissions, producing some of the dirtiest energy in the country. As someone who stated that you stand by 98% of the scientific, international scientific community on climate change, do you find it hypocritical that you cited scrapping EPA regulations, uh, the endorsement of fossil fuels, and criticized last year's climate deal in yeah. Paris? You know, my issue of Mother Jones just didn't come this month, so I could check, check those statistics. Right? But here's what I will we'll, tell we'll, you. We'll leave it at your hotel. Okay. No, we, we can leave a copy. Here's what we have done. We have, we've reduced emissions. We've we reduced emissions in Ohio by 20% over the last seven, eight years. And we also have dealt with the problem of methane when it comes to our fracking. So no, and we also have been very pro-environment. We put, you know, a billion dollars into cleaning up the lake. Uh, so no, I, I think that you have to, and I've, I said it earlier, if you have coal, you dig it, you clean it, and then you burn it. We spent a lot of money on, on scrubbers in the state of Ohio, but emissions are down, and that's a good thing. And I, I'm for developing all these other resources, and we have a program in Ohio that requires us to meet these, uh, these certain standards. And I've told the legislature, the standards that were set were unrealistic, but if you try to kill the standards, whether it has to do with uh, the renewables or whether it has to do with the issue of, of saving energy, 
I'll veto the bill and we'll go to the higher standard. So, you know, I'm committed is, to it. Isn't clean coal an oxymoron? Like it's been proven. I don't that's think, no, I don't think no. that it is. You don't think okay. so. Thank you. And, and, your, and your belief is that people who say that climate science is not real, they need to accept the fact oh, that I climate science is real. Oh, I think it is. I mean, that's, I don't, I'm not going to tell them what to do. I mean, they got to do what they want to do, but I believe it's real. Okay. I mean, you can't read these stories about things happening all over the world on our coasts and the rising sea levels without being concerned about it. Okay, ma'am. Hi, my name is Ashley. I go to UT Austin here. And my question is, uh, back in February, I had heard that you decided to defund Planned Parenthood in your state. Would you be able to elaborate more on why you decided to do that? Yeah, well, we did. We did, but we didn't, but we, because I think, it's, I think it's an organization that discredited itself, okay? That's my view. But secondly, I don't think that the planning. Come on, be respectful, please. Come on, come on. I Let think I need a safe space. Uh, here's the thing. Here's the thing, though. When it comes to family planning, we're not reducing any family planning money. We think family planning is very, very important in our state. But because I don't want to fund it through this organization doesn't mean it isn't going to happen. And look, I happen to be pro-life, period. That's the end of it. And I think that organization has discredited itself. So I appreciate your question. Do you, uh, do you believe, as you have said about same-sex marriage, it's the law we need to move on? Abortion's legal in the country. Do you think that we should say it's the law, move on? Well, I, no, I, I'm, I'm actually pro, I'm pro-life. And, right. uh, you know, and so we, we have this law now, but I would be in favor of changing it. But you're also opposed to same-sex marriage, are you not, personally? Well, yeah, but I'm, I'm, that's a different, it's a whole different, I mean, these are two issues. I don't think you can mix them. And what I, I said, I'm for the traditional marriage. The court has ruled. We'll live with it. You're going to live with it. Okay, we have time for just two more questions. One, two, based on what I'm being told over here. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, one, two. One, two. Sir, go ahead. Thank you, Mr. Kasich. Uh, my name is Scott Hudson, and uh, I completely agree with you on the, uh, the skills-based education. Uh, I graduated from college, couldn't get a job, so I taught myself to code and became a software engineer. Um, one thing that really, that really concerns me, uh, being, a, being a professional in the tech industry, is seeing stories like Disney, where they laid off their entire IT staff oh. in 2014 on the H-1B visa. Um, based on you know, past trade agreements like NAFTA, didn't really give us- To me, us that's the, a total rip-off what they did. I, I mean, they I, had, I know, they I totally had, agree. They, were, they had the people training uh, folks overseas so that people yeah. overseas could take their jobs. Right, yep, it's, it's and, and they had to sign gag orders. I mean, it was, it was ugly. And, and so, you know, you, you've, you've voiced your support for the TPP, and, and, and you've also talked about um, you know, making America a knowledge economy, and, and, and that's all well and good, but, but how, how, do, how do professionals like myself that, that see uh, high-paying jobs being taken away, you know, that, that are held by, by locals, um, well, I mean, what, what, what do we do as a community? Like you, you were saying earlier, uh, you can't wait for the big people to make changes. What, I mean, what should software developers do? Unionize? Like, what's the... What, this, what's this is the argument against TPP. Let me ask you to uh, address that. We'll do one last one before we do. So what well, do you think I, about I think, well, I, I think a lot of those issues in TPP have addressed. They're not perfect. Yeah. But, you know, we can, we can say we don't want to do it, and we can walk away and tell Vietnam to, you know, go with the Chinese. I think his issue is one, first of all, Disney shouldn't have done that. If you're on the board of directors, somebody should say we're not doing that. That's yeah. just, that is absolutely inappropriate. Secondly, that visa, that program that says if we can't find a developer, we can bring somebody in. That's bogus, too, because what they want to do is say, oh, we can't find anybody to work for $10 an hour. I disagree with that program. That program needs to be completely changed and probably junked until they get it right. Um, but how are you doing? 
Yeah, you're doing well. So I think that most people in this industry are doing pretty well. We look at the valley, we look at the changes in, inside of our country, but you know, those problems that we see people do ridiculous things doesn't mean that we shouldn't have trade. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't continue uh, to engage the world. I mean, that's, I, I don't like that, and there could be specific things we can do, but what I'd really like to know is why Disney ever would have had a group of people to say, you are gonna go train somebody who's gonna take your job. I mean, that's just outrageous and ridiculous, but I don't, how do you stop outsourcing? You know, we have a lot of insourcing now. Onshoring is happening now because the wage differential is beginning to, to be reduced. And secondly, um, a lot of people want to have access to this market here in North America. So I think that's what we have going for us. But I'm just, I, hate what you, I hate what they did. I think it was dead wrong. And I'd prefer not to write a law because I don't know how you'd write it. Okay? okay. Last quick one right here. And I'm, come on. <laughs> right here, last question. Last question. Last Governor, question. Uh, my name is Matt Worthington. I'm a policy student at the LBJ School. As a former educator uh, in DC public schools and with KIPP, uh, I've met many families who have struggled with the fragmented nature of social services. So for instance, you talked about the need to incentivize agencies so that they have better outcomes. If I'm a single parent and I have children and I apply for a workforce commission job training, but the deadlines that incentivize the agency conflict with the fact that I don't have childcare and I don't get those services, it seems sort of like it's not working, right? So how do you structure the agencies and social services, streamline them so that they better incentivize the families and people that need those services? Well, I mean, look, first of all, I mentioned this program for 16 to 24 because right now, if you are on, in need of these things, you go in, they give you your stuff, you leave, and then, you, you, you know, it, it, nobody ever says, what are we going to do to help you? The same thing is on the job training side. If you're really having a hard time getting a job, the program doesn't work. Now, I've talked to the congress, congressman about it, and in my state, by taking the 16 to 24s and giving them what they need while at the same time finding what their deep problems are and, and helping them to fix it so they can get work, I think is going to be a model for the whole country. Child care is a big issue. You know, we have improved our child care operation in the state through both the Department of Education and the Department of Welfare. And, you know, it's, it's, there's just never enough money for everything. That's why I need economic growth. Early childhood is another thing that we do. Uh, we believe in early childhood education. But you can't just fix everything overnight. You do the best you can to create your priorities. But what you need to know is, when I make these decisions, I'm not making them on the basis of what somebody in some polling place wants, and I'm not doing them because I've got to go check with somebody in the Republican Party. I'm doing these things because I think these are priorities we need to meet. There's always going to be problems. But if you can put some of these programs in place, that's why I expanded Medicaid, right? You get more help for people who find themselves in these difficult situations. So that's all I can do is the best economic growth with legitimate help that can give people an opportunity. But we're always going to be fighting on it, always going to be struggling on it. My charge to you is you stand for something, too. You make sure you do. Just don't expect somebody else to. You do it as well. We'll work together. Okay? Thank you all very, much. Thank you very all much. very much. Give Governor John Kasich a big hand. We'll see you out at the party. Thank you.